And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. I need somebody who can shape an axe handle from a persimmon sprout, shoe a horse with a hunk of car tire, who can make harness out of hay, wire feed sacks, and shoe scraps, who planting time and harvest season will finish his 40-hour week by Tuesday noon and then pain in from tractor back, put in another 72 hours. So God made a farmer. It had to be somebody who'd plow deep and straight and not cut corners. Somebody to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake, and disc, and plow, and plant, and tie the fleece, and strain the milk. Somebody who'd bail a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing. Who would laugh, and then sigh, and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does. So God made a farmer. Are you a lonely knowledge worker? Today it's no longer news that we're more connected than ever before. And of course, by connected, I mean tethered to our devices, email, social media, WordPress, Excel, Microsoft Word, PowerPoint, Keynote. And as I listed those, one of them probably stood out to you, the one of them or many of them that you're tethered to, the interface to our lives. One of the most ironic things to me today is that in our work as marketers, so much of what we do as knowledge workers is to simply pass information back and forth to each other. We rarely get to pass true knowledge to each other. We spend our day passing simple blocks of information back and forth until it closes a communication loop of some kind. We open a loop of communication, which requires information, so we pass the information on, or return it to which it either then fully or partially closes the loop, or it might widen the loop or start a new loop. So much of our day is spent closing the loops of passing information back and forth. And this is, historically, the heart of us as knowledge workers. Our value contained in how much unique, specialized knowledge we contain, and spending our time sending small bits of it out bit by bit in order to demonstrate that value. But what this has done, tragically in some cases, has given us a fear. A fear of not only giving too much up, but to sidestep anything that feels difficult or that might be hard in personal interaction, lest it drain all the information we have or demonstrate to someone that we have none left. Bosses ask for email status reports instead of talking with people. We collaborate across Slack using emojis instead of sitting in a room laughing and enjoying pizza, or arguing and enjoying pizza, or being contemplative together and enjoying pizza, or just sitting and enjoying pizza. Now, it's easy to blame this on technology, this lack of human connection, and it seems like every month there's a new article and study about how the internet is making us stupid, or that technology is sucking the empathy out of us, or the dark side of social media, and in fact, you can find studies who say the opposite, who say that social media is actually giving us a better brain, or that it simply changes the brain, but there's something different. Increasingly, there's something more subtle, in business maybe, maybe elsewhere, but maybe worth paying more attention to. It's the loneliness of the knowledge worker, the loneliness of passing information. Not the technology, it's the information itself. In many cases, we feel like we're running low or that we have, in fact, passed all the information we have. 
So we start looking for another job, another company, another career, one that doesn't have all the information that we have, and we can start that passing of the information all over again. But maybe, just maybe we can start to look at things a bit differently. We can know things for sure, but can we also take the time to create new things, make the time to create new things. That's a career path. And if it's not, it's the one we need, where we create things continuously, constantly, stopping to rely on ourselves just to solely pass information bits along, where we create things and the well is filled rather than drained. Maybe that's where we can evolve. Wisdom, true wisdom, as Socrates said, the only true wisdom is in knowing that you know nothing. And that's the theme of our show today, loneliness and the knowledge worker, the wisdom of connecting to new work. And now it's time for me to pass on this little bit of information and get to creating something new. So if you're ready, let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 170 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, February 13th, 2017, one day away from Valentine's Day. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the wisest wise guy of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I am okay. Happy Valentine's yeah. Day. Do we, Thank you. I feel like I we, should like mail you a card or something like well, that. Well, you know, I was gonna, I was gonna give you one of those little candy hearts that says like "Be Mine" or yeah. that sort of thing. You're yeah. like, yeah. I saw, did you see the ones that CMI put out? Yes, on they were fantastic. It's they not were so you. Wonderful. It, yeah, yeah, it's not you. It's your posts. I got your backlinks. Yeah, baby. wasn't that yours? That was mine. Baby got backlinks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that was that was cute. <laughs> 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 yeah, it just basically talks to my maturity level. Do I amuse you? I'm amusing. Am I amusing you? Exactly. No, uh, Monina and the rest of the team did a great job putting those together. That was super fun. Yes. Um, did, we didn't really talk about the Super Bowl, did we? Did we didn't. No, we, we recorded. We recorded a little early. Yeah, because of my travel schedule, so we didn't actually. What a great the game. game! My God. I guess it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess for some. Well, just, but just yeah. like okay, put the football game aside for a second. Just think sure. about baseball, one of the biggest comebacks ever. Basketball, biggest comeback ever. Uh, football, biggest comeback ever. I mean, yeah, that's crazy. no, no, no. Handed hats off to Tom Brady and the Patriots. They, 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 you know, they did something that's never been done before, and it's it's. Uh, it's 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 an awesome achievement. It really is. Was it? it is it? That, fi- do you think it's fixed? Do you think it was all fixed? No, no, I don't think it's fixed. I, I don't think it's fixed. I think they just you know, look, the Falcons played their hearts out, you know, for a half of football, and then they then they came out and they just clearly weren't the same team. They just you know they just they, they just clearly weren't the same team as they were in the first half. And yes, you know, uh, yes, okay, well, I'm not gonna harp on it. Yes, the New England Patriots deserve everything, but my God, run the ball, Atlanta! Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's all yeah, they. You, yes. you take two plays away, 
from that. And they, the, if they would have ran the ball when Julio Jones made that amazing catch on the 22-yard line, the game is over. That's it. Sorry. That's exactly right. And then just run down the clock, and it's done. And it's – and yeah. I think Kyle Shanahan was already thinking about San Francisco. I think he might have been, yeah. I think so. Was, yeah. But for those yeah. people that don't care about football, just disregard everything we just said. That's right. And because now, there were some commercials. The yeah, commercials were, were the important to talk part. About. I got to exactly. tell you, Robert, I was a little bit – it was a kind of a yawner year for me. I didn't, It was a huge yawner year. I mean, yeah. if you're going to spend $5 million – I just come on. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Did you? I mean, okay. Let's. Were Were there a couple that you really liked? Yes, I made a quick list. Oh, I want to. I would love to hear your yes, list. I, I have one in particular, list. and then another take. I, on I, it. I have a quick list, of, right. and they go from sort of the ones that I thought were really, really just stupid um, to the to the one that I. There's one that I absolutely love. I actually went and watched it a couple more times. You know, proactively, that's how much I loved it. Um, so the first one, uh, I'll do just quickly, the Tom Brady one, you know, maybe for the obvious reason, but the I just thought it was dumb. The epic, the one where they, you know, do the camera 360 degrees around him, yeah, yeah. brushing his teeth and eating a pancake, stupid. Um, I thought the Bud Light one, the friends between friends where they sort of cut off the last word that they were saying to each other, I thought that one was really cute. Um, I thought the Mercedes one, the the uh, uh, the Born to Be Wild from the Easy Rider with uh, Peter Fonda and all of that. Yeah, that was a huge missed opportunity. The Coen Brothers directed that, and it was just there was it was just you know there was nothing there. It was just like there was such a great opportunity to do something special, and I thought it was just eh, just an ad. Yeah. Um, the Skittles romance one where she's catching the Skittles that are being thrown up by her boyfriend through the window. That one just got creepy and weird. It did get weird. Um, I Maybe they could have stopped it after the mom caught it, and that would have been have. it. And then they yeah. just kept, I'm like, oh, what? Yeah, right. You know, that's, anyway. Um, the Kia one with Melissa McCarthy, the one where she's going off on all the yep. eco tours. I thought that one was cute. The two that I thought were just amazing were the buy soft drink okay. ones. That's the one. This, I, that's my number one. The sideways prancing horse one is that the one or the one with no the bye bye the one with Christopher Walken and, and yeah, Justin the one with Timberlake. Christopher it's fantastic. But the the sideways prancy horse one is classic. I that's the one that's the only one that I actually lol'd on. I mean that one was so funny. Um, I'm sorry, but you put. Justin Timberlake and Christopher Walken in a commercial. It's, that's classic. That's, that's, good, need to do. that's good comedy right there. Yeah. Uh, exactly. No, I hold, I love the whole buy, buy, buy. Because you know what? I think that's great for their brand because yep. a lot of people don't know it's buy. They, mm-hmm. you, it's ba, you know, B-A-I. And you're, it's like, what is it? Buy? Bay, is yeah. it buy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, I think Timberlake's actually an investor in that company too. So, Well, that would make uh, sense. He's an investor yeah. in MySpace too. Yeah. Um, or was. Uh, the uh, I, I just had a couple things because I, as you know, my newsletter last week was all about the Super Bowl. I just wanted to throw yeah. out these stats because I think they're so interesting to me. Yeah. So this year, the average cost is I think you knew this five million dollars to place a thirty yeah. second commercial, and then according to Heavy dot com, which I love, <laughs> uh, the combined expense of creative promotion and media placement for each Super Bowl ad on average was twelve million dollars. Twelve wow. million dollars. Do you believe it? That's four hundred thousand yeah. dollars per second if you're counting, which I was. And <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was super interesting. 
Um, you know, and then of course I do my thing where I like to say, oh, well, you could have 24,000 blog posts created at a cost of $500 a piece, or you got 2,400 white papers created at $5,000 a piece, or you could run 25 full scale customer events for the same price. You know, those, I just, you could buy a media company for, you could buy a media company. You could buy a niche media company and be the go-to resource for your industry for $12 million or less. Yeah. So I just, you know got to put it in perspective for these people and i'm not saying it's bad to because obviously here we're talking about buy i mean they they seem to, to hit the mark there but well i think for a new brand like them it's it's a great way to have a coming out party you know and and do something really memorable that i think can sort of you can build on right you can build on that and you know so my and we didn't get to my favorite my my actual really my favorite one which i think is just fantastic not only because of the ad itself, but what it does build on is the Squarespace one, the John Malkovich one. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Which was just so good because, <clears throat> I mean, just it, first of all, it's just hysterically funny. And then, and then the, 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 at the end where they're basically their whole thing is about don't let your domain get away. I mean, just a, a, a wonderful, a, a wonderful thing for them to build well, on. Well, you know, what I liked in, about that is there's a call to action. I would imagine yes. there's a number of people there that said, I wonder if mine's taken. I wonder if my name is taken. It's exactly right. By the way, JoePolizzi.com is taken. Yes. Well, so is RobertRose.com. So, you know, there's a jeweler, I guess, that has my name. You don't own RobertRose.com? No, of course not, dude. That's I mean that's 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 a very first of all, it's a very common name, but second of all, the the jeweler is actually relatively famous. Where is the jeweler? I think he's in New York, but it's a it's a it's a it's a global brand. (laughs) We're gonna as it were. Wait a second. Robert Rose Jewelry is a global global that brand. That is correct. That right. is correct. We're I'm protesting. Okay. This is a we're right, we're, we're marching on Robert Rose Jewelers. <laughs> they need to release robertrose.com. They've been keeping it hostage. Yeah. Hostage. Hey, what are we <laughs> what are we going to do about this? I'm really upset. I'm upset now. My favorite part of the John Malkovich commercial is when he goes, there's a film about me being me. <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's just so good. And then his assistant goes, isn't it about other people being you? And he's like, and he kind of shrugs and goes, eh, whatever. Well, it's just it's so good. You know, here's, here's how uh, geeky I am. Before, I have two sons. One's named Joshua and one's named yeah. Adam, as you know. And you and you registered their names as domains. I checked them to see if they were available before they, before they were born. I, and I, they are not? They were available. Oh, okay. So you got them. But I'm saying is I probably wouldn't have named them Joshua or Adam if their domains weren't available. That's how geeky I That's pretty I geeky. Yeah. That's pretty geeky. But I have I have Josh and JoshuaPolizzi.com just to make sure because just I'm going sure. to gift it when they say that I've been a horrible father and I've never been around and I've been traveling. <laughs> I'm going to say, but I bought your domain for you. Here it is. And 100 Star Wars figures from 1995. <laughs> and a GoDaddy hosting account. <laughs> Here you go, kids. Here you go, Some kids. kids get a new car. You get yourself a GoDaddy hosting account in your domain. Oh Good luck my with that. god! Yeah, and uh, yeah, that and the the Star Wars uh, uh, glass uh, glass set from Burger King from nineteen eighty four. I have that. There you go. Just so you know, go get yourself a Big Mac. <laughs> 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 all right uh do all we right. have uh, was there anything going on in the last where there there was actually there oh. was quite a bit going on nice. um in the news this week 
Um, and the first, uh, the first that, uh, article that tops our show this week is comes courtesy of AdAge.com, and it's um, about our favorite uh, company these days, Snapchat, and their upcoming IPO, and they filed for IPO. And so AdAge did an article called The Eight Things We Need to Know um, as Marketers About Snapchat's IPO. And the article opens up by saying, Snapchat sees dollar signs and some danger signs as it heads for Wall Street. On Thursday, the messaging and media app filed for its IPO and disclosed more details on its business than it ever has. Aside from investors, advertisers also get to see the hot mobile property, uh, how it's doing. For instance, one area of deep interest is growth. How many users can it attract? And it's already seeing some flatter adoption rates. Of course, companies are required to disclose every sneeze if it could adversely impact their business. And then they go on to actually list out some of the numbers, including that the fact that they have 158 million daily users. Um, and uh, although that doesn't really compare when you look at Facebook at 1.23 billion daily users, um, put that into perspective for you. So what do you think about this? Well, we talked about some of this last week. And I think you do have to say, Anyone that's looked at IPO documents or you look at an annual report, they always put in the mm-hmm. most horrific things possible. Right. They the disaster. To, yeah. yeah. What the founders the could die. Be? What if the founder yeah. dies and, you know, right. we, you know, a, a, a hurricane could hit all kinds of things um, that they talk about. So, of course, you, this article was bound to happen. I will say this, though. What I thought of, they have 158 million daily users, as you talked about, and they call themselves a camera company, which is so odd to me. Yeah. Uh, which to me looks like, I mean, if, if, you, if you look at my last book, Content Inc., it almost looks like they're trying to, to take a Content Inc. model. They're building, the, they built the audience of 150 million. Yes, advertising is there and they're growing. There's no doubt about it. They're growing revenue. It's great. Costs are still way higher, way more than revenue putting a lot into R&D, but I think now that they've got this 100, these 150 million users, they're looking for what is the product. We don't know what the pro- we don't know what we're going to sell against these 150 It's a really users. great point. I think that's where they're at right now. I don't think that they know. I think that's why they're calling themselves a camera company cuz they don't want to be put up head to head against Facebook and Instagram cuz they can't beat them. It's a really great point and I think what you're going to see is that this you know, this is one of those things where it will either, you know, it's a very high risk, high reward situation. So for those of you who are planning on getting on on the IPO, boy, I would I would I would really, you know, caution you that you're going to want to watch this. Make sure. Yeah, you might lose that money. You, yeah, that should be at risk money if you're going to. Yes, do because the, the, to your point, they don't know, right? Whether it's going to be a set of eyeglasses with cameras on it and they're going to be a hardware company or whether they're going to be a software company to power types of devices with glasses in it or whether they're going to be a media company or they're going to be some form of all of the above. I think it's, I think it's really, I think it's really, you know, unsure footing right now, which is just weird in today's age uh, that they're, that they're ready to file an IPO. I mean, it's, I think it's cool in, in, in many respects that they're actually able to look at the future of themselves and go, we can file an IPO without even really having a solid foundation of what our long-term strategy is, you know, and people are willing to go, yeah, that's good. I'm good with that. Sounds right? like 1999. That, yeah. Remember the globe.com? If you were an oh, online yeah. company, yeah, sure. it was it was nuts what was going on. Yeah. But you know what was interesting? I watched, uh, uh, I was just watching a segment on CNBC, 
And one of the analysts there, they were talking about Snapchat and the difference between Snapchat and Facebook. And the guy, I guess, in his spare time has a band. And he says, look, I've been on Snapchat. I can't figure out the advertising. But I on Facebook, it's really easy. I can target exactly who I want to target, where I want to target them. I put in the, the amount I want to spend, and it's super easy. And he says, and I'm getting into Snapchat. I can't figure it out. I just thought that was interesting, just from a small yeah. business. Now, I know a lot of the advertisers on Snapchat are not small businesses. They're large businesses trying to like identify this millennial audience, which apparently, from what this says, they visit – 25, no, 20 times a day, 20 times a day, and they average a, a half hour there. And users older than 25 average 12 visits for 20 minutes a day. And users named Robert Rose and Joe Polizzi visit no times for no, <laughs> <laughs> for right. no amount. Uh, but yeah, I thought that that was, uh, that was interesting that it must be that much more difficult or maybe you know i don't under, i don't actually understand because i'm not in the app how they actually deliver their advertising versus a facebook and or a twitter which is really easy to understand so yeah well it is just it's it's very similar right there are public snaps that you can do and and that you just promote those and more people see them that's it you know so it's just basically it's not unlike facebook's algorithm where you're basically you know Paying your way to the top of the algorithm. And yeah. It's the same way in Snapchat as well. So it's a it's it's not a dissimilar model. So um, what? So yeah. just real, real quick, if you had to say a year from now, they go public. How's the stock performing? A year from now. A year from now. A year from fine, a year from fine, when they go mediocre, public. F- fine, mediocre, yeah. disappointing will be the headlines. Disappoint, you know, disappointing growth. About yeah, Those so basically, probably right about at the price that they were listed yeah. at. Yeah, yeah, and 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 analysts, you know, I see headlines like analysts pushing, you know, Snapchat executives for a business model. They, you know, for growth plans, you know, those kinds of headlines. That's where I'd see it a year from now. I think the, the it's really going to be important for them to set expectations because I think a lot of people are going to say, well, is this the next Facebook? And it's, it's not, there's one Facebook. That's right. Um, so what is this? And, there, and the, the challenges is that Twitter, again, even this week has been having so many problems with their stock price. I think they're down to $15 a share or something like that. So it's it's tough that they're going to either compare to Facebook or to Twitter, and you know you've got some you got some problems either way because Facebook has been it's you know a, a one percenter and you've got Twitter that has really been hurting for the past many years. So yeah, exactly. I love what uh, uh, did we? I don't know if we talked about this last week or not um, about Twitter. Where I love what Jay Bear said about this, where he said uh, it's not how many on that are on twitter it's who yeah it's who it's on twitter you know one person obviously you know that is that leaps to the top of mind there but 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 it's really have become the place where celebrities sort of communicate with their audiences so that's a that's a really interesting pivot for someone who's looking to acquire a company for that particular purpose and now I can see that lots and lots of reasons for media companies that may want to buy twitter it's 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 going to get acquired it's going to get acquired well, and I think that what I've seen happen in the last few months, I mean, go. let's go back a year ago. I mean, weren't you hearing that, oh, you have to be on Snapchat. You have to be figuring if you're targeting millennials, yeah, you absolutely exactly. have to. Don't hear that anymore. I'm hearing people no, say, that's true. you know what, if you're going to do it, go all in, make the choice, uh, but you don't have to be there. And But I, right. I'm, I'm like that with any social channel. 
I mean, you don't yeah, have well, to now be on any of them. But if you're yeah. going to commit to ones, go all in, commit to it, do what you got to do. But you don't have to be there. Yeah. So exactly. All right. Well, all right. Let's move on. And, sure. Because we don't. We don't have to be there. So we let's don't. move on. We're done. I'm not <laughs> not doing okay. it. I'm not doing it. So the one place that everybody felt like they also had to be was this little uh, platform, this content platform called Medium. Um, and by the way, big hat tip here to James Gardner. Thank you, James, for the wonderful story idea through the Twitter hashtag. This article comes courtesy of an inter- – I have an interesting comment on this of how I got to the source of the story. But the source of the story that we're going to link to in the show notes is from TechCrunch.com. And the headline here is Medium to launch a subscription service within the next quarter. The article opens up by saying Medium CEO Ev Williams announced today at Upfront Summit – I thought that was an interesting place for this announcement, that his company will launch a consumer subscription product within the first version coming this quarter. This could help develop an additional revenue stream apart from advertisements. Finding a strong revenue source is critical. (laughs) That just line makes me laugh every time I read it. It's like, yeah, duh. Okay, since Medium decided to lay off 50 staff, close its New York office, and announce a new direction last month. Ev called the product an upgrade to your medium experience and urged people to subscribe when it's ready. He discussed the layoffs as part of the path of subscriptions as previously medium was focused on getting big publishers joining its platform by running ad sales for their properties itself. At the time of the layoffs, Ev wrote, it's too soon to say exactly what this is going to look like regarding the new direction of the company. But now it seems it's coming into focus. And they have a little clip of him there talking and getting applause for the announcement itself. Um, I have a take on this, um, but I wanted to hear what you what you thought. Well, I <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do have a take on it actually. Uh, if I'm trying to figure out what they mean by subscription, I think they're I think they're saying that you can they're, that they're going to get a bunch of publishers. This is how I take it anyway. Okay, they're going to get a bunch of publishers, and it's going to be like a imagine Flipboard, but but with a but but you subscribe to it and get great content. Yeah, see that's that's that's, that's, that's not going to work. That, I know that's, yeah, exactly. That's, see, yeah. that's my problem with it because I I'm looking at this over and over. An upgrade to your medium experience. If you look at a paid subscription model, let's just right. say a la New York Times or Wall Street Journal. Right. It could be an app store thing too, right? It could, it could be. be like, a, you know, here's your chicklets of, of who you could, you know, so it's an unbundled thing where you can subscribe to XYZ number of publishers for XYZ number of dollars per month. I, it, you're right. Uh, but generally when you're talking about an, an online uh, subscription to some kind of a, plat- a digital platform, you're talking about a... Some kind of content experience that's differentiated. I just don't see that happening in medium. I don't think it's enough that the visual experience and some of the content is valuable. And I really think it has to be truly valuable for somebody to want to pay for it. I really believe, and we've talked about this multiple times on this show for the last two years, that medium has a huge opportunity in the content management system space that they could go directly against WordPress and make a huge dent. And maybe that is the business model. I believe that is their number one way to go. And I think anything that's talking about some kind of a packaged subscription experience outside of that, I think they're wasting their time. Now, it may work. 
they may get some people to sign up, but I don't think it's a huge opportunity like I believe if they were to become sort of the off-the-shelf CMS experience that WordPress now is, what, 27 30% of all sites out there? That's right. I mean, right. what a huge opportunity there. And it is. It's easy to use. You could you could plug and play that thing. Um, and there's a lot of publishers that have already signed up to do that. Why not go that direction? And I And maybe they will. Maybe that's what this means, but I don't think so. I think you're right. I think, and to me, this is the this is putting the cart before the horse here. I, you know, I think, you know, it, it, again, if I'm understanding this correctly, I think I would have gone the way that you just recommended, and then use that ecosystem to surface the best, and then launch a product like this. Right? There's just no there there right now. You know, there's no reason for you know for you to you know they don't have the I don't see them having maybe they've got secret deals all locked up, but I don't see them having the brands that would be able to drive interest in some sort of bundled experience of content to say, okay, here's where you can get your, you know, this magazine, this magazine, and this magazine, and it's all bundled together under one subscription and one price point, and they become sort of the, you know, Airbnb of digital content, right? You know, where there's one service provider and you pay them, and then basically, you know, they, you know, the a network, can get yeah, access they're, they're like they're, things, and that's right. what they're doing, right? They're trying to create some right. a, a quasi network, and they that's have right. they have these some pretty cool publishers that are involved. So, in here, it. so, but here's the thing. Here's so this is what I wanted to to to, to make the point okay. about an article that we're not going to link to. He is that HBO has now just announced that they have 2 million subscribers on their over-the-top platform. So their direct pay platform. You're talking about HBO Go. HBO Go, okay. right, is now has 2 million That's subscribers. That's impressive. It's very impressive. And the key <sighs> is, is that they built a network and had quality publishers built, you know, I mean, think about it in this exact business model, right? You've got a, here's, here is a network that created an app store, if you will, of content that is extraordinarily popular and high quality, and then built in these, here's your singular access to all of these shows that you can subscribe to. It's the same deal. And they built this, but they, but the way that they did that was that they were part of an ecosystem first. In other words, they built and invested, I mean, the Netflix model is the same way, right? They yeah. built and invested in high quality content that made up their their store and then basically created a, a reason for that network to exist, an audience to exist, and now they sell access um, to you know to to this uh, to all this high quality content. So I see a company like HBO succeeding at this, and I see a company like Medium really struggling at this because at the heart of all of this is an in, you know where is the where is the value of the content where that's the you know that's yeah. where we're struggling with trying to figure this out. By the way, I totally agree with you. By the way, I was on Netflix yesterday because my wife and I were just, we were looking for a couple old 80s movies and we're like, well, maybe they're on Netflix. Well, they weren't. You, the, the sheer majority of the stuff, the newer stuff that's on Netflix are all Netflix owned stuff. Yeah. It's not like Netflix has completely changed their value proposition. It's all to go to Stranger Things and to go to Narco and all the all the stuff that they're creating. It's, it's interesting. So they to your point, they started off with here is the content we're delivering. We're going to package it all up. We're going to do these content syndication deals. They work those like magic. Now they're not paying for any of those, and they're funding their own content. It's exactly it, right? You know, this is the this is the way every streaming service 
should be thinking about. We talked about this a few shows ago when we talked about Spotify, right? In terms of how, you know, I mean, look, you've got, you've got, you know, um, streaming services, namely um, the one that Jay-Z owns, and I'm forgetting the name of it off the top of my head. Um, uh, Tribal? Tribals are called? No. Um, anyway, I'm forgetting it off the top of my head, and I'll think of it. But um, where they had exclusive deals yeah. with artists. And that's the way, but the way that a Spotify is going to succeed is not by being a streaming radio station of every other artist. It's going to be by streaming exclusive access to content you can't get anywhere else. And the only way you do that is, is that you have some exclusivity agreement with the content creators to be able to do that. This is a, this is a classic media model 101, and it, and, it, and it just, when you see something like Medium looking to do this, it, it's, it's, you can see the weakness right away. You can say, this is the challenge. So if they can solve that, maybe this new subscription model makes sense. But I don't see them solving that. Which is, ex- well, I totally agree with you. I think they got major problems, which is exactly the reason we've been hearing all these things that are going on about Apple creating their, which is why Apple's going to buy Disney. <laughs> well, you, you, were, you went a long way for that one. but um, I was waiting. Uh, I was waiting. Yeah, it's yeah. going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. They just not, don't know it yet. Okay. Yeah, it's it's good. It's good that you it's good that you have dreams. What's Apple going to do? They're going to they're going to they're going to buy something. Wouldn't you go yes, out there and buy the best? Disney. It's not going to be Disney. Why not? They go right to the content. No, 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 no. They'll go. They'll go. They'll go right to the content creators themselves. They'll. 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 They can do. They can do what Netflix did if they felt like it. And um, you know, they, but that's they, been done. They, they have, that's been done. You know what hasn't been done? What has What hasn't been done, Joe? <laughs> Tell me what hasn't been done. Do you know the brands that Disney has that they could? I know they're oh so great. God. They're so wonderful. Yes, and, I know. And they won't cost them that much money. It's okay. Shh, 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 shh. It's uh, okay, baby. It's, it's all right. It's okay. <laughs> Just. <laughs> all right. Do we have a? Do we, we do. A, we, okay. So basically, we, all in all, we believe that media is barking up the wrong tree with that is this correct. Model. And 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 here's the other and thing that I'll just. Just a little, yes, they should. The Here's one footnote that I'll add to this story, which is, um, you know, I mentioned at the top that uh, big hat tip here to James Gardner, who sent this over. He actually linked us over to the Contently article, which was Contently's roundup post saying, you know, giving a quick opinion on this, on an article that came from eContent. And then I went over to the eContent post and read that, which itself was a roundup post, which was linking over to the TechCrunch article. So this is the world of content we li- live in now, where we read the thing that links to the thing that links to a thing that links to the original thing, right? So this is the, this is, this is where we are. So thank you which for I think finding funny the original. You've, under- yeah. you've done the work for our listeners. Thank That's you what so I much. Try and do. That's what I try and do. We have a, do we have a sponsor to talk about? Uh, we absolutely do this week, and we have to mention, and I've been told, we specifically need to mention some of our wonderful events coming up for Content Marketing Institute, specifically on February 22nd. Is that right? Content Tech, February 22nd. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It is a free event. It is all about content marketing technology. It's all in a day. Uh you have to go there and go to contentmarketinginstitute.com slash events to sign up. You'll see the lineup. It is incredible. And if you don't sign up, I don't know why, because it's actually free, and you're going to learn all day long. And by the way, 
if for some reason you can't attend, and I don't know how many there are, whether that eight in the in the day, seven or eight in the day, that are going on all day long. They're thirty to forty minute presentations on on, on video and data and workflow and all kinds of great stuff. Uh, I believe Mr. Robert Rose is one of our keynotes. I also believe. Don't that, let that dissuade you. I also <laughs> believe that MatPad, our my. I love Matthew Patrick. He's Matt Pat on YouTube, global YouTube sensation. He's doing a great presentation on video. You can't, you don't want to miss that. So go ahead and sign up for that uh, as soon as you can. It's a free full day. And then if you can't be there for any of the sessions, you get all the archives. But you have to register for that. So go to contentmarketinginstitute.com slash events. And then there's three more things quickly I want to mention. Uh, Intelligent Content Conference is coming up March 28th to 30th in Las Vegas. I how many ICCs have you been to Robert? Is it 8? All of them. All of them. Yeah, all of them. This yeah. is I'm more excited about this one than ever before because I think I'm, we I'm really I'm right there with you. I think yep. we really got the programming right this time. So if you at all care about your content strategy and and I would say if you are work for a very 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 very, very small company, it might not be for you. If you're for a, if you have any kind of complex content marketing challenges, ICC is going to be perfect for you. So you're going to want to come be there uh, March 28th to 30th. Uh, we go ahead and check out. I mean, I think we've got uh, PayPal, we've got Washington Post, we've got Google, we've got all the big IBM Watson is presenting. Yeah. We've got some amazing presenters that are going to be there. So it's you incredible. Want, you want to sign up for that, and then we have the big show, Content Marketing World, September 5th through 8th. Uh, that's in Cleveland, Ohio. You're going to want to make sure you put that on your calendar. Sign up now for best pricing. And the last thing is our spring semester enrollment for Content Marketing Institute University is opening up March 1st. And you can go and go to contentmarketinguniversity.com right now and you can be notified when that opens. It's only open from March uh, for the first day of March to the last day of March. That's it. And then we close it down until summer. So you want to make sure if you want in for our brand new curriculum that somebody put together. Boy, you work hard. You work a lot harder than I do. (laughs) Whoever worked this deal out, thank you. Because I don't have to work near as hard as you do. But it's a fantastic curriculum. I was there for for a good chunk of while you're recording it. Uh, You're not going to want to miss it. So go to contentmarketinguniversity.com for all the details on that. So... There you go. It's a lot of wonderful stuff coming up. A lot God, we're of doing wonderful a lot of stuff. stuff. Yeah, should... there's it's it's good stuff. Is it too much? Is it is it really? I don't. Think I don't so. think. I don't think it is. I don't, I don't think, think so. it can be too much. I don't think you can have it's, too much yeah. goodness. Could you have too much of a good thing? That's I. You know, I think that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about that. Well, <laughs> speaking of good things, and speaking of things that we hate, well, now it's time for our rants and rave section. Your favorite part of the show, folks. It's our rants and raves section of the show where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel not so lonely in the world, like we've got really good stuff into our careers or something that, quite frankly, makes us want to bang our head against the wall. Um, And this week, I have this old market. Yeah, it's about time. First, I know. (laughs) I had had two in a row. I thought I was going to pass out. Um, so mine, okay. So mine quickly here, I need to preface this by saying, and you know, big asterisk here, this is not political. I am not trying to make a political statement not here, political. but this article is too important and too interesting not to share. So I don't know if it's a rant or a rave, it's commentary, certainly. Um, and 
to be clear, it is not about being political. And, and I and he, we talked about this before the show. I've not read this. I've I'm not so I'm I'm listening to this with fresh ears, and I will sure. not take it politically. So do you right. do you know the guy the the guy uh, Milo Yiannopoulos? Uh I do not know him personally. Oh well, I know, but you know who he is. <laughs> I yes. know who he is. Yes. Okay, so he, for those of you who don't know, he is a best described as one of the alt-right uh, speakers, thought leaders, editors um, of a publication, and and goes around speaking at colleges, etc. The, the latest news on him was when he went to Berkeley and was going to speak at uh, Berkeley University, the University of California at Berkeley, and, and, and basically there was a huge protest against what he was going to talk about because many people find what he talks about, you know, subversive and racist and all the rest of it. And again, not to get into the details of that because this is not about that. But the article that I'll link to in the show notes here comes from a guy by the name of Ryan Holiday, and uh, the article's in theobserver.com, and it's, it's basically the headline of the article is, I helped create the Milo or Milo trolling playbook, and you should stop playing into it. And as I read this article, it basically describes how this guy um, uh, actually was the marketing guy for a blogger named Tucker Max. Did you know Tucker Max, the blogger? No. No, I don't. Okay, so another very similarly, not similar sort of ideas, but similarly controversial. And he goes on to basically dissect his entire marketing strategy of how they made this guy into a best-selling author and speaker. You know, millions of dollars um, in book sales, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they did stuff, and they there was truly trolling marketing. I mean, where they did stuff like, you know, they they they, they placed ads for the book and then vandalize their own ads and or they would call it they would they would put in ads you know controversial ads around a city that he was going to go speak in and then they would put together a phone campaign of their own making to go basically protest the ads and the so basically oh, wow. creating controversy yeah um, about this whole thing and he writes this whole playbook of how he did this and his whole point there is that basically they created, you know, this is exactly what's going on now. And in this example, he said, and in others that will go unnamed, this is exactly how it works, is that you create this controversy and it gives you free publicity. Because what they said is, you know, what happens is, is that the news organizations will do your marketing for you. CNN will run an article talking about, you know, and that reaches, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. And yes, you know, 60,000 of those people, 70,000 of those people will be shocked and, and thankful that the CNN brought them this coverage of this thing. But 30,000 of them will be your audience. And that's who you're trying to actually reach. And But you get it for free anyway. And it's just a it's it's a truly fascinating dissection of how this kind of um, publicity is working today. The one line I wanted to read verbatim because I just it, it, when I read it I was like oh my gosh this is this is a lesson for marketers. <clears throat> Here's the line: Most brands and personalities try to appeal to a wide swath of the population. Niche players and polarizing personalities are only ever going to be interested in a small subgroup of that population. While this might seem like a disadvantage, it's actually a huge opportunity because it allows them to leverage the dismissals, anger, mockery, and contempt of the population at large as proof of their credibility. It's proof to their followers that they're doing something subversive and meaningful. It gives their followers something to talk about. It imbues the whole movement with a sense of urgency and action. 
It creates purpose and meaning. This is the opposite of, I mean, it, it, it is content, it is the dark side of content marketing, right? It is exactly, you know, if you read that, that paragraph and you talked about the idea of a Red Bull or you talked about the idea of taking a strong opinion with your content marketing, it's exactly that. This is exactly what we preach, right? This is exactly what we talk about when we say, listen, this is why you go after a niche audience. Is because you're looking for your fans. You're looking for the people who will be pa- as passionate as you are about a particular topic. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, those are going to be your best customers. And that's what you're doing when you're attracting an audience in with content marketing. Is you're attracting them to your point of view, your argument, your story. And you're ultimately getting them involved to the point where they want to become customers of yours. This is it. This is what we talk about. But in this, it's the dark side of that. It's the negative side of that. And I just thought, for all content marketers, this is an article to be aware of because it's just a fascinating look into the dark side of that. It's, that's, I, I, now I really want to go through this article. So I, yeah. I, I definitely have to go through this. It's, uh, yeah. it's crazy some of that. But you're right. Yeah. You're right. I mean, t- to focus on the underserved portions of the audience. Make them underdogs, <clears throat> is exactly. what he says. It's, yeah. it's, it's the way to do it. Um, yes, you're right. It wasn't political at all. Yeah, good. You, you did a good. It's uh, hopefully people will take it for what it is, but I think the learning is. You're right. The learning yeah. is in the strategy, not what is the content. It's, it's just in the strategy. It's just a, a very, very insightful piece. Absolutely. No, thank you for sharing that. I'm going to go through yeah. that uh, later. I really, uh, I really found that interesting. Uh, mine is very light compared <laughs> to, to yours. I just have a very quick uh, rave slash commentary. This comes from publishing executive. Uh, magazine media property and it's called how to develop newsletters that readers actually want and i'm not gonna i'll put this in the show notes uh i just kind of want to go through these findings from the new york times and why you and i talk about the importance of building a subscribership and how when you have a subscriber how their behavior changes and differs and what they do differently in the business is what we're talking about from a profitability standpoint. That's content marketing. And and I want to read this one paragraph. So it says, improving relevancy by offering readers more options is a tried, tried and tested tool for reducing churn, increasing open rates and acquiring subscribers. The New York Times was one of the first out of the blocks with a diversified newsletter strategy. Late last year, when it had a portfolio of 50 newsletters, that's five zero. A lot of people don't know that. Wow. They have 50 different wow. e-newsletters. It was reporting that website visitors, oh, you'll love this, were twice as likely to become paying subscribers if they signed up for a newsletter first. I just wanted to put that out that's there. That's amazing. Yeah. Because... When you and I talk to a lot of enterprises and we talk about email and we talk about the importance of driving consistent readership, this is the next step to that. The next step is what do they do differently? And a lot of the companies you and I work with, they don't sort of go down the rabbit hole and search for what is the behavior change. And I love that the New York Times has this data because it's one of those proof points that you and I can put in front of our clients and say, look, these are the types of things that you can see. So if somebody does subscribe to their your e-newsletter, what do they do differently? Like for us at CMI, and you, you and I have used this 
in, I know you used it at Masterclass, and, and I use it all the time talking about, we know that somebody that signs up for a Content Marketing Institute newsletter and then starts to subscribe to other things like our webinars, like Chief Content Officer Magazine, they are way more likely to then pay to go to a content marketing world or intelligent content conference. So what we do is, our first thing is, let's get them as a subscriber. Let's not try to sell them anything to start with. Let's get them engaging in our content and have them subscribe. And then we'll start delivering a really valuable piece of information to them on a weekly basis. And then we start to put offers in front of them that we feel are relevant depending on their subscription patterns. So I just think I just wanted to share that because I thought that one little line was so critical, and I'll put that in the show notes, Robert. But I just thought that was amazing to see what. So, and by the way, they're uh, they talk about the Economist and they talk about the Washington Post as well in this article. It's a really good article talking about the value of e newsletters, how to keep people, and then how to measure ongoing. So there you go. This stuff works. That's the uh, you know. I mean, that's <laughs> it's just that easy. It's just. <laughs> this stuff works, man. Well, you know the one. It, it's such as it's actually one of the simplest strategies is just to create. Yeah. You, know, you just create. You create your digital platform. You have a very valuable e newsletter component. You do things that get people to sign up for those e newsletters, and then from those e newsletters, you're able to give them offers to different things. It's as simple as it gets. And sometimes we try to do, you know, go for go for the home run, like uh, buy a Super Bowl ad. <laughs> and, and, and there could be things that are a lot easier, a lot less expensive to do. So there you go. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we have, I, I have to say, one of the most wonderful This Old Marketings Ooh, to talk about nice. um, this episode. And, and and it's just, it's a very heartwarming story um, to chat about. Um, this, by the way, huge hat tip, huge hat tip uh, to Jason Massey. Um, at Jason, J-A-Y-S-O-N, Massey on Twitter, if you'd like to go follow Jason. Um, thank you, Jason, for this this wonderful, this old marketing example that you sent in, um, because it's just really great. So we'll have two uh, links in the show notes, because the one that Jason sent over is certainly great, and I'll, 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 uh, I'll impart some information from it. But then I also found a couple of other articles that were, uh, were also good um, uh, around, uh, around getting into uh, Sarah Spencer Washington's life. So Sarah Spencer Washington um, was an entrepreneur. Um, she was an African-American uh, who opened up a beauty supply and hair care for other African-Americans um, in 1911, right? So just imagine that, right? So, you know, she's opening this up in Virginia in 1911. You can imagine the environment that she was opening, a, you know, becoming an entrepreneur um, in at that time. And she, after opening up her beauty products and salon store, um, it, things went okay, um, and things were fine, and they ended up um, developing a couple of very specific products um, for, you know, for curly hair and, and, and for African-Americans' hair, and she started selling that fine, but then they wanted to expand the business, and this is where it gets into content marketing that I just love. So what she started to do is, as, as her business began to expand, well, she did two things. One, she created a school where she taught practitioners how to become beauticians, basically teaching other African-American women, and I guess some men, but probably most likely women, how to become beauticians. And of course, when she taught them to become beauticians, whose products did they immediately want to use? And so they, they started using her products. 
And so she opened up this, the, which was, so her, her beauty salon and products were called Apex, A-P-E-X. And then she would open up the Apex School of Scientific Beauty Culture um, and then established that around 12 cities and basically built her expansion of her product base based on the school. And then she launched a newsletter to inform all of these graduates and agents and everybody, all these beauticians that she was creating, to keep them up to date with all the latest techniques about what they needed to know about um, doing African women, uh, African American women's hair, and how to do it great and how to do it wonderful. And so she uh, she built the Apex Publishing News Service. So she had two different companies, the Apex Publishing News Service and the Apex School of Scientific Beauty Culture. And then she had her Apex Beauty products. She was ultimately um, one of the biggest entrepreneurs at the time, millionaire, black businesswoman in the age of that not happening at all, um, and basically became, um, as this article calls her, one of the most important business executives in the black community. She was honored in 1939 at the World's Fair as one of the most distinguished businesswomen. Um, and was also, you know, she lived in uh, Atlantic City and was a, a key key member there. And just an amazing story of someone who built, I mean, she followed your Content Inc. model to the T, right? You open up this product thing and you figure you're going to create some new products that might be really innovative and they're tested in your store. And then instead of just sort of opening more stores, you create a school to create your own customer wow. base, right? You create you create a school to create your own customer base, and then you create a newsletter and magazine to actually keep that you know to keep that customer base as a community, to keep them as a community together, and have them become loyal to your to your products over time. I just think it's the a really super cool example of this old marketing. Where did you find that? Jason Massey oh, sent Jason. it over. God, that's yeah, fantastic. Jason sent it over through the hashtag on Twitter, and he said, "Hey, this might be a good idea." And I'm like reading this thing, going, "Um, hello." The and what the the link that he sent over? Um, there's somebody who did a documentary of her. Oh, there's a fantastic. new documentary film of her that's uh, actually airing um, soon ish, and we'll we'll have both those links um, in the in the show notes. Well, thank you, Jason. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's just again, a great story. I, our our listeners are yeah. amazing. They're yeah. Just, they're pretty much doing our job for us. I love it. <laughs> so we're, I love it. What do you got going on this week? This week I'm home. I am writing on the book. Uh, I am I'm heads down writing on the book and doing some other writing and some content creation and then getting ready for travel next week. So, but uh, but yeah, this week is all heads down writing. How about you? Uh, I'm waiting for you to write some of your book so I can <laughs> so I can start to do some things too. No, I really uh, I'm I I actually worked a bit over the weekend and, and trying to I've got just so for people people want to know like what we're doing you and i are taking different chapters of our book called marketing yes. profit so that's right um, and joe is waiting on my like chapter you know just a get. little bit just just, just to make bit. sure because i don't want to start a certain on a certain chapter until i know exactly what yes. you're doing exactly. that's how collaboration works and that's why and you're just my, so you know you're folks, my male valentine he, he, so. He, he's he's he he nags you through text messages. He's like, "Have you done your chapter yet? Have you done your chapter yet? Have you done your chapter?" Yeah, you get those text messages. It's like, "I'm okay. I'm working on it." <laughs> if you'd respond to me, 
<laughs> you don't respond. You just ignore them. I feel it's, you know, it is Valentine's Day. Maybe you could get yes. back to me. That is true. That is true. I love you. Okay. Oh, all right. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, that is it. This is uh, for Joe, his text messages, and for me. We are all signing off. And if you like this episode, number 170, won't you leave us a kind review um, on iTunes? We would sure love that, and we would love to thank you for it personally. And if you haven't done it yet, we hope you'll also consider subscribing. iTunes, Stitcher.com, your favorite podcatcher, whatever you like. Do all of that. Also, let us know, won't you, story ideas, whether you left a review, all that stuff. Hashtag us up, This Old Marketing on the Twitter. We'd love to thank you personally for that as well. And, of course, you can always send email, email at uh, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And all the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes that are available on the show as we will publish on Monday night. And, of course, in the show posts and all its replete full Technicolor glory on thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.